And I remember seeing him just full stick, light the thing up over a right-hander and smoke off the tire. And I, I just remember thinking, my God, if that's what it takes, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to make it. Tanks Lappin' Podcast, episode 15. Got a little bit of a news break for you. We're actually going to introduce a new guy to our show. I know, it's kind of a... Uh, Kind of crazy, but Jake's going to be taking some time off to focus on some stuff he's got going on with work and getting his program together for the 2020 season. Hopefully this means that we are getting back to racing soon, but yeah, Jake's going to focus on some racing stuff and he's still involved with the with the show a bit, but he's just going to take some time to, to get some things together and I'm uh, happy to introduce a new co-host. Uh, he goes by the name Sammy Sabedra. Sammy is a former professional racer himself and one of the most knowledgeable guys regarding the history of the sport that I've ever met. He's super funny. His Instagram page is fire. Got a lot of cool videos and photos. But uh, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself a bit. Sammy, tell us a little bit about yourself, man, and thanks for coming on and and uh, putting up with our shit for a while. Well, hey, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Um, you know, I guess I'm going to add this to my resume. Not many people can say they've been able to fill in for Jake Johnson so uh, <laughs> I'm going to add that to my resume. doesn't mean it's uh they don't have to know it wasn't on a motorcycle, but I can legitimately say that now. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so it's great to be on the show. And, and, you know, like I said, thanks for having me. A little bit about myself. I'm just uh, someone who's had a, you know, somewhat of a spotty career. I had a good go uh, when I was a teenager before I stopped racing the first time. After that, um, I would race, not have anything to ride. Then I'd find a ride and I'd race a little bit. I rode over the years. I rode just about every class at some point in time. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to have raced at just about every racetrack you can think of. Uh, not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, uh, chances are I've been there. I've uh, always stayed involved with the sport, even with my time away from racing. You know, just being involved with it, uh, whether from the sidelines, working with different tuners or or different riders. And, and like yourself, Corey, uh, I was born into a racing family. So, you know, uh, that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, before we get too far into it, I want everybody to know that you're from California originally, and now you live in Philly. So you're like, you're right up my alley, buddy. I, I love it. I'm, I'm Philly born and bred, baby. So I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, uh, man. Go birds. Yeah. Uh, I've actually raced with you a little bit in the expert twins class, my rookie expert year. Uh, you were kind of coming back to the sport and, and you yeah. had some really good finishes that year and got fifth in the points. And you work with Ryan Varnes right now, who's a good friend of mine and somebody that I've, I've been racing with the last couple of years. So yeah, you're, you're not, you're not a new steed to the game for sure. And, uh, we're, uh, we're stoked to have you on. I think the fans are really going to appreciate your sense of humor and, and some of the insight you have, but, uh, our guest for the night, man, I'm, I'm real excited. Like I've said, I, uh, we get to talk to Josh Hayes tonight, man. It's uh that's pretty interesting. Woo. I, yeah, Hayes is a, you know, Hayes is a road race guy. You know, we're big fans of all forms of motorcycling here at Tank Slapping. You know, we're flat track based because that's our roots, but we follow everything. You know, MotoGP, Superbike, hell, trials, hill climb, hooligan, you name it. Um, we follow it. Anything to do with two wheels. Who doesn't? <laughs> you know, who doesn't follow all kinds of racing, right? Yeah, exactly. And and Hayes is 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 incredible. He's a four-time AMA Superbike champion. And what I find most interesting about Josh Hayes, and it's actually, 
it's not talked about enough, but the guy started racing motorcycles in 1994 at the novice level. I think he was 19 or 20 years old when he started racing anything. He jumped on a bike mm-hmm. after high school and started racing. And nine years later, after he started racing the novice class, he was an AMA professional road race champion pretty much when road racing was at its peak. So he was he was racing some of the top name guys to ever do it. And he, he was a champion, went on to win four Superbike championships, two Formula USA or I'm sorry, Formula Extreme championships. Sorry, my uh, flat track uh, kicked in there. Formula Extreme championships. And he's also raced MotoGP which um, not many people can say. And he finished freaking seventh place in MotoGP at Valencia in 2011 when he filled in for uh, Colin Edwards. So he's a big flat track fan. I thought it'd be cool to get somebody on with his, you know, uh, achievement list and, and just see what he has to say about the sport, the direction it's going and things like that. What a career, man. What a career. And uh, it's got to be an incredible story. I can't wait to talk to him and find out a lot more about it. Well, before we get too far into that, I want to make sure we shout out our sponsors. Uh, we actually have some other big news. Really, really excited to bring on Bell Helmets as a sponsor, title sponsor. Bell, man, what can I say? I, I started wearing Bell Helmets last year. I was with some other brands. To start my career, I switched over to Bell, and immediately I've, I've been impressed with the, like the whole design of the helmet, the safety ratings, you know, it was a big deal for me to switch from from the other helmets I was wearing to Bell, and I made sure I did my research. Bell's pedigree and how much effort they put into their design and safety and everything else, I, I was amazed, and I'm still amazed by what they do. And Bell Power Sports, make sure you hit them up. Thank them for supporting the Tank Slapping Podcast show. And we're really excited to have them on board moving forward. Also want to give a shout out to Gerenser Motorsports. They are a Harley-Davidson in Indian motorcycle service, performance, and pre-owned sales dealership in Elkhart, Indiana. They have 55-plus years of experience running a dealership. They're constantly running specials on their Instagram pages, Facebook, so make sure you look them up. And they're the number one sponsor of the Kenny Coolbeth Nilla Race Team with rider Sammy Halbert. Visit their website at GerenserMotorsports.com. And a, new, a newer sponsor is uh, for us is Vancouver Flat Track Club, VFTC. So that's a tough one for me. Is a group of friends who like to go fast. They host flat track races at the Pemberton Speedway, located between Whistler and Pemberton on Highway 99 in British Columbia. It's sort of uh, above Washington State a bit, so on the West Coast. And I've seen pictures of the track. It, it looks awesome. So uh, make sure you check out their website at VancouverFlatTrackClub.com for some history results schedule check out a race and visit them on on social media when you can yeah Corey, just to touch base a little bit on uh grantor motorsports i know they have deep roots uh in the flat track world so it's really cool to see them on board and uh i follow the vancouver flat track club on instagram and dude i'm jealous you know i grew up racing in racetracks that were out in the middle of nowhere you see their stuff and it's like huge pine trees and it's beautiful so uh, they definitely got some cool stuff going on north of the border up there. And if you don't follow them on Instagram, I suggest you do. Amen. Sounds good. Let's uh, let's get Mr. Hayes on the phone, Carter. Let's uh, ring up the four-time Superbike champ, and let's talk some flat track with Josh Hayes. Josh Hayes, Corey Texter, Sammy Sabedra here with Tank Slap and Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? Uh, as, as, as good as we can be can expected right now for a motorcycle fan or a racer, it's, it's a tough time, man, but we're, uh, we're pumped. You're on the show. We know you're, uh, 
you're an asphalt guy, but you got some flat track in you, and and uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. But yeah, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I don't know how you guys have been doing. We've been doing pretty good here. I got a little bit of space to play with and a two-year-old to entertain, so that keeps me uh, pretty busy day to day. Yeah, I got it. I got it. One of those two, a two-year-old. So yeah, that's a, that's a full-time job. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, like we mentioned, yeah. you're a four-time Superbike champ. You you know, you've got many many achievements in in the road racing side of things, and we want to touch upon that a little bit later on the show. But uh, we know you're a fan of flat track. So do you do you watch all the American flat track races on Fan Choice or NBC Sports? And and how did your roots get kind of drawn into the flat track side of things? You know, I don't watch all of them, but I do keep track, of course, of the news going on with all of them. Over the years of uh, racing and being a pro racer, your network of friends and each discipline kind of grows bigger and bigger. And, of course, being pretty close to J.D. Beach, uh, you know, Briar Bauman's been around a little bit. You know, I've had so many of them. Jared Meese has spent some time around here. You know, we've we've had quite a few of the guys come down and, and have some fun, play around Jimmy Wood right up the road. Uh, so I got a lot of opportunities to like try out some different dirt track stuff and stuff like that. But my first probably introduction to it was uh, a super camp with Danny Walker. I want to say 2000, 2001 and like McKinney, Texas with Will Davis and uh, Willie McCoy and uh, who else was there? Nikki was there. There was a, there was a handful of guys there. It was a good time. I'm going to jump in. That's a cool group of guys, Josh. I mean, so I, uh, Man, that that is that's almost like dirt track royalty right there. <laughs> right. Except Danny Walker, you know, we won't give him too much credit. <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I know you followed a little bit, but you'd mentioned JD Beach and some of those guys. Is there a favorite flat track racer you enjoy watching right now? Maybe somebody style or anything like that. Um, I know you're a student of the game and with anything, you know, you kind of study all forms of racing, but there's somebody you kind of watch and you're like, man, that's, that guy's got, you know, he's got it down. I really like watching him ride either past or present. You know, I, I can't really pick one guy and say that I like the way he rides or I like the way he does this or that, you know, uh, as, as I've kind of gotten into it more, like as I became a pro racer and, and what was this and what was that, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to get on track with a handful of the guys, you know what I mean? I remember, uh, having a local race here in Hayden Gillum and Jared Meese, uh, Henry Wiles, uh, man, all, all of them were here. Like it was a huge event at this little Del Mar indoor uh, off season, you know, and you're out riding on track with them. And I remember Brad cutting me up pretty good and, and things like that. And it was just so much fun to watch, man. There, there were so many of the guys. It was, it was really fun to be out there on track with them and see things. Uh, I liked seeing uh, Briar put a season together. I thought that was fantastic, but you know, one thing that was pretty cool, Jared's been around for a couple of years and he, we talk on the phone from time to time uh you know just about racing and and i had a long successful career so i think he utilizes me a little bit as a resource to talk about stuff and one thing that i have liked about jared doesn't really have anything to do with riding or this and that but i've seen him not be that close or be right up at the front but come race time the guy's always a gamer he's always there 
at least in the mix, which I, uh, I think is pretty impressive with all the, the things that dirt track has to deal with, different types of tracks, uh, different types of conditions, a track that changes a lot, gets potholes, one that stays smooth, cushions, you know, groove, whatever. He's there every single time, and, and that's uh, even in the TTs, it seems. So it's impressive to watch a guy who's a gamer who can step up whenever he has to. Absolutely. You know, you've had a, a, a lengthy career, and what I want to ask you is, you know, to go back to your own career, coming into it uh, a little bit later in life, a lot of racers kind of have somebody to look up to or that might take them under their wing a little bit and show them the ropes. Uh, is there anybody that did that for you? You know, when I very first started, uh, Grant Lopez was a, was a really good racer who was just from Mobile, Alabama. I was from Gulfport, Mississippi, and we got together just kind of on a whim, and it was like, oh, yeah, come on, travel around with me a little bit, thinking that, you know, I'd show up once or twice and they'd never see me again. And then we ended up doing, like, the whole my, – my whole regional series my first year racing, and I learned a lot by following around a guy who had – been racing for two or three years and was at least established on the regional bit. And we both kind of grew into nationals at the same time. And, and, you know, pretty soon we became competitors in very short order, but that first couple of years, it was actually absolutely critical to have a guy to kind of show me the ropes. Cause I'd never even been around motorcycle racing before when I was 19 years old and I went and started. So Later in my career, I mean, I had a lot of friends that were good racers. And when I got to pro racing, I had really only been in it a very short time. I hadn't grown up watching GP and things like that. So, you know, I got to be honest, I was I was racing against my heroes and, and whatever I could see on TV paled in comparison to what I got to see on track with these guys day in and day out. I mean, the list was so deep of guys that I was competing with in 1999 when I got on it, on the track in 600 Supersport in Daytona, I want to say there were like 22 factory and factory supported riders. I mean, Miguel Rojano, Matt Milad, Steve Curry, Larry Pegram, like the, the list goes on Miguel, Nikki Curtis, like Roger Hayden, Damon Buckmaster, Tom Kipp, uh, you know, I, I could talk for days about all the guys that were on that grid. And so battling with Aaron Yates, battling with Jamie Hacking and, uh, you know, Tommy Hayden and Doug Chandler on 600s and all these guys, the Bostroms, I learned so much and I saw all these amazing things day in and day out. And I can remember one one particular moment where we were at Sears Point in 2000 when I had got on with the Honda team and replaced Nicky at Aaron Racing when he went to the factory team. And Miguel was one of the riders that would like do laps with me. And in qualifying, we had gone out on a brand new tire. And, and usually when they were brand new, they were fast, but they were a little sketchy on how they let go. And we were going through this S section. I remember seeing him just full stick, light the thing up over a right-hander and smoke off the tire. And I, I just remember the thinking, my God, if that's what it takes, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to make it. <laughs> you know? and, and then somehow, so, somehow you just go hunker down and grit your teeth and try to start figuring it out. And, and probably the, the reason that I succeeded was I was a, a you know, an A minus or a B plus talent, but I was a pretty good student and I was smart enough to figure some of these things out. Yeah, I think we've all, as racers, have had that moment where we're actually racing and we're racing with somebody next to us and they do something spectacular and you're like, 
like holy shit like we're still fans of like even now like i'll be racing with guys and me as a fan i'm like holy crap how'd they do like it's just yeah that's so relatable you said that and you know i i haven't got a chance to speak with you too much you know here and there when i see you at the track but i've always been fascinated by the late start you got in racing and i don't think it's talked about enough and uh it's something i can relate to you know my parents were divorced growing up and i didn't really start racing till i was 15 years old a lot of people don't even realize that they're like oh texters they've been racing their whole lives and it's like man my parents were divorced and i just wasn't able to start right or really racing till i was a little bit later in life and you just you know you were 19 you said when you started riding or racing whatever and then within nine years you won an ama professional championship so how the heck you know what were you doing throughout high school and and how it escalated quick we had a kid that actually asked a question last week or the week before and they had asked you know uh you know i didn't start racing till i was 10 and you know what advice would you have for somebody who started late in their career and my first thought was josh hayes like so talk a bit about that man i'm it's, it's incredible I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a great answer. I mean, I can throw some things out there, you know. But <laughs> I was just a normal kid in high school. I, I didn't know motorcycle, like amateur motorcycle racing, other than local motocross existed. And I, unfortunately, growing up in South Mississippi, my parents, you know, I never, I never had a want for anything in life. We were never hungry. We always had, you know, clothes and food and all the normal things that you had to have. But we didn't have the extra income to to do any kind of racing. And my dad wheeled and dealed. He was a fireman and, and a carpenter, and he found a, a, a metal tank DS80 that was rotting in somebody's backyard and bought it for $100 and fixed it up, dual shock thing, and gave it to me for uh, Christmas when I was 11. And I rode it. I was the only kid in town with a motorcycle, and I rode it in a field next to an airport and pushed up as big a berm as I could push up by myself. And that is what I had until I was 18 years old. That was it. So I always loved motorcycles, and and I felt like I had an aptitude for them, but I had no idea that I could ever go do much of anything, you know, other than local motocross. That's all I knew existed, really. As a senior in high school, I wheeled and dealed vehicles. You know, we started driving at 15 in Mississippi back then, and I had had a couple of trucks and this and that, and I just kind of kept working through stuff, and I'd buy something, fix it up a little bit, sell it for a little more, and then I'd get something a little nicer, and I finally got like a salvaged title motorcycle as a senior in high school. When I graduated high school, I was working, and I was just going to get a fancier motorcycle to ride on the street with my buddies, and, and the local Suzuki shop, the guy who owned it, his sons went and tried club racing with Wera. And that's the first time I realized that it existed. So when I crashed my street bike and couldn't get a new one, a number plate was cheaper. And I decided, I talked to my parents a little bit. I went and did the Ed Barger race school in Talladega. It was a six-hour drive to the closest racetrack to even just try this for fun. And back then, the track day didn't exist. You had to do a racing school, and then you could go club racing if you wanted to. So that's when I met Grant, and I asked my parents to co-sign a loan for me that I was fully responsible for. I was working and went and tried it as, as a hobby. And I had an aptitude for it. I did okay my first year, and the next year, things weren't looking too good. But I had a couple people that said, man, you did pretty good, so they helped me out with a few things. I had a guy who loaned me a motorcycle for a year that he then was in the military and he took off and went to, to Italy and rode it in Italy for the next three years. He deployed there, but he let me race this thing for a year. And I did good enough on that, that 
somehow I garnered the attention of John Ulrich on his amateur program and, and got involved there where I got a couple loaner motorcycles. And every year the deal just, I managed to get a little bit better of a deal that was just enough for me to survive in racing. And as I was doing that, I was also, at that time, there was a lot more resources to get a little bit of money back, chasing factory contingency monies and things like that. So I chased money around the country, and I was able to do a lot of racing. I mean, for road racing, I was doing 17, 18 weekends a year, where the the day I became a pro on a team, all of a sudden, I was doing 10 races a year and thought, man, I barely ride anymore. So it was kind of a, a big turnaround for me, but I was fortunate that I, I, I did a lot of endurance racing. I did a lot of club racing. I raced at all these different racetracks with all these different guys. And so I was able to give myself a pretty steep learning curve and, and pick things up really quickly by all the people that I was able to engage with. And, and just, uh, you know, at a time when racing was a bit bigger, there were teams at the amateur level at, at, you know, where a nationals, which was the next, you know, it's not an AMA national. It was the next deal down in FUSA. I was able to get onto teams that existed in those series at that time and had riders on those teams. And so I kind of grew with those teams. And as racing has shrunk, it's got definitely gotten more difficult to make that transition and to do what I did would be really difficult in this day and age. You know, Josh, I, I got to say uh, a lot of the things I was about to ask you, uh, you already answered, which is great. Um, one of the things <laughs> I wanted to know, because I was like, you know, when you think of uh, motorcycle racetracks or riders, you think of things regionally, you know, you think Chuck, Chuck Graves, you think Willow Springs, you think Scott Russell, you think, you know, Georgia, you know, Road Atlanta, Josh Hayes, Mississippi. It's like, man, you know, to, to drive six hours just to, to try it out, that, that had to be insane to do. I, uh, my hat's off to you on that one. But um, at what point in your path did you realize that, like, hey, man, I'm kind of on to something or, hey, I see a real future or career in this? Like, when did that all come to you and how did that come to you? I got to be honest, like, it wasn't quite laid out like that, you know, like that first track day, the first school that Ed Bargy school that I went and did, I, I drove my mom's white V6, V6 Firebird with a three-rail motorcycle trailer and a Honda on the back of it that looked like it had been crashed three times, you know, nice. and so nice. uh, I did, nice. I did that. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you have a picture of that. <laughs> I, I have some stuff. Yes, I do have, still have some stuff around, but you know, like, so even even as I started riding for John Orich and I was in amateur racing, and it, I say amateur racing, I was in the not the top level of racing. I, you know, I was on a good team and I was making progress, and every year was getting a little better. And I just remember I, I never really knew. Like I, I kept saying, "Hey, I'd like to go be a pro racer at the top level," but I, I'd never. I, I gotta be honest, I never knew if it was in the cards for me. Those guys were still the guys I watch on TV, and. I got lucky that I I came up at the time that the team I was riding for decided to go to pro racing also. And even then, you know, I was riding for John Orch on Valvoline Suzuki at the time, and we go there, and I have I have an amazing first year in pro racing uh, where on his bikes, I, I went out and got second in the championship or third in the championship to Curtis Roberts and Nikki Hayden on the factory Hondas. 
in Formula Extreme, and I ran. I was the top Suzuki and ran at the front uh, in 600 Supersport. And I, I still remember at the end of that year just being like, wow, I can't believe it's kind of happened like this. And I got the phone call with the offer for, like, my first, like, actual paycheck to race a motorcycle. And I think that was kind of the first realization that, oh, this this might turn out to be something more than a hobby. I mean, I was going in. <laughs> all of a sudden, I went from this guy that nobody knew to – I was going to be I was going to be on a team of four riders, Miguel de Hommel, Nikki Hayden, Curtis Roberts, and who? Josh Hayes. You know, <laughs> like I was sitting there at all these autograph sessions, walk, looking at their lines like around the building, and people were taking my posters because they felt bad that they were taking all these other three that they knew, and they're like, "Oh, who's this guy? Okay, yeah, man, they don't want me to feel bad." So you can see them kind of look at me and smile and grab a poster and walk off, you know. So <laughs> during that time, before it got to that point where you got that first paycheck, uh, was there any like were you, were you delivering pizzas? I mean, what were you doing for some income, man? Like, what were those? early days like were you working at a motorcycle shop like what did josh hayes do before he was a motorcycle racer <laughs> so when i was in high school i worked at a jet ski rental at the beach and i, I kind of somewhat became kind of the mechanic to keep things running because my dad was fairly mechanically inclined but basically i i had the a gnarly tan and i wore really short little neon shorts and i stood in salt Woo! water from my waist to my nipples, 12 hours a day, you know, sending people out on jet skis. And when they'd flip them over, having to go out there and flip them back up, right, without them drowning me. I had a couple of people yep. step on me to get it back onto them. So it was fun. My hair was, I had this really bad, like, skater haircut, and it was all bleached out, and I wore glasses. Nice. <laughs> no. This is the Josh Hayes I want to see. <laughs> you talk about racing your heroes and, and that's kind of hard to do. Like I've mentioned before, for me, you know, I grew up in the sport. My dad raced pro, and and um, you know, I grew up watching Chris Carr and and Kenny Coolbeth and guys like that. And when it was turn time for me to turn pro, it's like, man, I got to race these guys who literally are my Captain America, Iron Man. Like they're my heroes. I got to go out and try and beat these guys. And it was a really hard transition for me. And it took me a lot of years to get that mental confidence. And you know, you started late but you don't really ever hear you use that as an excuse. So what, what was your, what was your mindset that they kind of turn? I mean, you're pretty mentally, you're a mentally strong racer. Like you've won a lot of races just from being a mentally strong guy. And it's just crazy that you, you didn't start till you were 19 and you're racing these guys that literally were born into what they did. Um, how did you stay confident and have that, you know, that killer instinct to go out there and, and beat these guys? I mean, where did that come from? I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't you know. Like, he was born with it, man. <laughs> the good thing is, like, I had, a, I had a family system and a group of people around me that I knew no matter what, my life was going to be okay. Even So after the, the, the beach, I ended up becoming a, a watercraft mechanic. And the lady who helped me and allowed me to work there and take all these weekends off to go racing was a former motocrosser. She was a motocrosser, and she knew a lot of people in the industry like Keith McCarty and just all these guys from way back in the day. And so, like, I had a group of people around me that it was like not, my life wasn't going to be glamorous, but it was going to be all right. And I, I, I honestly kind of went into it with the idea of you know, I'm not supposed to beat these guys. 
You know, they they are the badasses. But they, I don't know that they were my heroes because I didn't know enough about the sport when I walked up there. But I would see them. I definitely would see them do these things and be like, holy cow, I'm like, this is way over my level. I don't know how I'm going to get to the next level. And you just keep plugging away and trying. And for listen, I went to a big school of hard knocks. I had to get it wrong a lot more than I got it right before things started coming around. And one thing people forget was that I was in the support team system in pro racing for a decade. I did 10 years of support classes, 600, 750, formula extreme, whatever I could survive on before Keith McCarty gave me the opportunity to ride a superbike. And even then I wasn't his first choice, but the money was draining out of racing and I was cheap. So that gave me that, that opened up a door for me. So I I feel lucky that I got to have a time at all. (laughs) And, and I mean, like mentally strong, I mean, I don't know. I think more than anything, I, I had a decent perspective and I knew how I, 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 my, the magic, the thing that made me me over some of the other guys was that perspective of when it was when it was time and you had to put it all out on the table. That is when I was the most focused and did the best work I ever did. The best races I ever rode were when my back was against the wall every time. So I'm lucky in that way. And that's what counts. I mean, you look at any of the guys that have had great careers, they've always been able to step up when it counted. And, heck, maybe it's good you didn't grow up in the sport. Like, you coming into this, you're like, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm going to whoop his ass. I mean, it's like. I was mad at my dad for so many years for not owning a motorcycle dealership. You know what I mean? But, but uh, you know, from where I'm at now with my family and I look back on a career and what I got to do and what I didn't get to do. And and I just go, you know what? Everything worked out like it was supposed to, because honestly, right now, if I look at my life right now, I got a two-year-old, I got a wife that I've been married to for 15 years. Everything's fantastic. My life is great. And I wanted, I wanted to go do the Daytona 200 and we put it out there to the world. And in a time where nobody can get a ride, there are no rides. And nobody can raise money to go racing, to do the whole series, to do this, to do that. I'm able to raise enough money for an old has-been to go do the Daytona 200 and have some fun. So I think that comes down to I built some amazing personal relationships along the way. And I, I, I did something right in life for a guy who's done nothing but take from this sport by being a competitor. I didn't cure cancer. I didn't do anything but give anything really back to this world. And... I have these people reaching out to do these amazing things to help me go have fun because it entertains them. And you know what? Like if if my life had run different and I had started sooner or any of those things, I don't think I would be in this position because I've seen, you know, the kids that start really young and and it's all kind of laid out for them. It's not that they're bad people, but they don't understand the process of how they how it got there. And I, I was a part of every bit of my process from the very first inkling and idea of trying to race a motorcycle to, to full success. So I was a part of the whole process and where some of them is like, I don't know, I just rode a motorcycle. I was good. And they gave me some money to go do it because everything, the training, the, the people to rider coaches, the, this were all laid in front of them to just here, this is what you do. Right. So I had to forge a lot of really good relationships over a long time. And that's been the key to to success in in what I consider life. 
you know. You know, you talked a little bit about how things kind of just naturally fell in place. You were in the right spot at the right time. You were you were able to do the things that you had to do uh, on a motorcycle when you had to do them. Uh, I don't want to skip too far forward in your career here and jump jump the gun, but you know, you you raced you, and you talk about those early, you know, 600 days with like, you know, 22 factory riders. I remember being at those races, watching that stuff. And it was insane, man. But, you know, you, you've raced with several riders uh, during your career that have later went on to have MotoGP careers, uh, whether that was, you know, Nikki Hayden or Curtis Roberts or, you know, uh, Bang Spees. I mean, now during that time, you see those guys. I mean, at that point, you were well aware of, you know, GP racing as being the what's considered, you know, the the top of the totem pole. So, like, were you cool with the path your career took during that time, or was there ever like any animosity towards the guys uh, that went to GP or had the opportunity, the opportunities laid in front of them to go to GP? Like, like, damn, dude, like, why am I not a- animosity? No, we all want those things, right? And and there was no animosity. But I, I learned a long time ago that not everything in this world is about being the best rider on the racetrack. There's, you know, there there are so many things that go into our path as racers, and that could be everything from having a good relationship with this team manager or that team manager or whatever might be in between as well as your performance, your look, their marketing goals in that company. There's a million different things, right? And I didn't fit the mold in a lot of these places for a long time. And so was there some jealousy? Yes. Was it animosity? I don't think it was animosity, but I mean, I wanted, I, I knew I didn't deserve it until I won at this level to get to that level. So I wanted my superbike shot long before I got it. And then when I got it, you know, like I remember sitting down with Keith McCarty when I was handed my, I want to say my third contract after four years um, at, at uh, Yamaha and three championships. And I said, Keith McCarty, you know, Keith, if I sign this contract, I'm, I'm going to be 35 or 36 years old when it's over. And that's like, this is the nail in the coffin. Nobody in Europe will ever talk to me again. 36 years old, my first time in Europe, it'll never happen. Not that they're even talking to me now, but you know, I'm never going to get to ride a MotoGP bike, the top level of, of like technology and racing. And I'm going to be a career motorcycle racer. And that makes me sad. I'm happy to sign this contract. I feel lucky to have this, but I mean, for sure there's, there's that, you know, and the other side was, I kind of looked at those guys and I said, the hard part was you would look at these guys. And I mean, as a racer and poor, I'm sure you know, this, you don't look at, at these guys that you're racing with and go, wow, that guy's going to do great big things way beyond what I can do. You look at them as peers and you, you justify one way or the other to keep your, your heart and your soul in it of why you're getting beat and what you need to work on or this and that. And it's not because they're just flat out better than you, because you can't, you can't bring forth what you need inside to go out and figure out how to beat them. If that's what you think. So, I mean, I looked at these guys and I go, yeah, they're good. And I hope they do well because it, it makes us all look good when they do. But, you know, I knew my, I had, I knew you had to go through the steps and you had to take through the walk through the path to get there. And unfortunately my path was just shifted so late, even, I mean, I may have been able to have enough success sooner, 
um, and maybe get my opportunities, but it just didn't come around. So the few opportunities I did get to do, though, I garnered some really good respect from the people that I rode around. I mean, I did three World Supersport events, and I finished um, in the top 10 of each of them. I raced at the front of one of them. I almost, Keenan Safoglu tried to punch me while I was leading at Portimao, <laughs> um, you know, which was, uh, so I was in the race, you know what I mean? And Andrew Pitt had won the world championship. And then, uh, you know, I got to do some world endurance and then I got to do the one Grand Prix and I finished seventh. I led a session and I was in the top 10 of every rain session there was. And the only sessions that were dry were, qualifying in the race. So that was the first time in my life I rode Valencia on slick tires on carbon brakes, uh, you know, on an 800 Grand Prix bike. So I had a lot of things in my, in my corner. The fact that I didn't do better than last, I mean, I was close, but I was last and qualifying wasn't a big surprise, you know? Well, it's, so, it's actually, I, was... I garnered a lot of respect from the people there. Yeah. I mean, I was going through your stats a little, and I, I knew I knew you did a MotoGP round a few years back. Well, it's man, time flies. It's 2011, but you, um, yeah, you got seventh. And for somebody to start racing at 19 years old, uh, you know, pr- essentially get into motorcycling at 19, and then go out and you can put on your resume that you got seventh at a GP. Um, I'm pretty sure you're the the you know no one else has done anything close to that. Um, and uh, I, I just think dude, I'm just going back to that. I just think it's incredible what you've been able to do and the amount of time that you've done it. And uh, kind of like getting back into like I got one more question here, and then we got a quick segment we do every show. But you know, it gets talked about a lot right now, like how American road racing is. I'm sure you're tired of those questions, and uh, you know what they can do to get better. And it's kind of like when you started, road racing was. You know, when you turned pro, it was really in a good spot. You know, there, you mentioned there was 22 factory guys, and and flat track wasn't really talked about much. And now it seems like flat track's gaining a lot of popularity. And uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, road racing in America, it's just it's just sort of struggling a little bit. And it's a bummer because we're all big big Moto America fans, big road race fans, and we hope it does well and it should do well. But what are your thoughts on kind of the the rise of flat track once again? And um, what do you think, you know, is the reason for that? And, um, any thoughts on all that? Well, I mean, like, it's crazy what the hipster movement and the, the hooligan racing has done for dirt track. <laughs> it's actually kind of brought forth everything full circle again, you know, my, my hope, and, and this is going to be on the people who run it and continue to make a good show out of it. Is It is a good show, and if they can continue to figure out how to make it branch out, it can be really good. You're fortunate that there is factory involvement in dirt track. Otherwise, I think it could really easily fall into the realm of supermoto, which got really popular and shined really bright for a really short time in America with some factory involvement before it went away because you can't go buy a supermoto motorcycle hardly, not a competitive one. They just started making them now, and they've been gone for 10 years, so or 15 years, really. So, uh, you know, like I like seeing that it's growing, and, and I think anything motorsports right now is hard to, to get to grow. So the fact that it is is a great thing, and I hope they can – they can continue that trend 
going. Road racing is breaking my heart to see it hurt so bad. And um, I, I think that the the things that are missing is they, they like to people like to draw a lot of comparisons to racing and a lot of other places, a lot of other things, and but they don't draw the proper lines whenever they do. And I think one of the things that really has to happen is is the if we want to bring in new people to check out something they've never seen before, we got to make it easy to do. And where Dirt Track has the ability to run a one-day program, road racing is a three-day program, and they're thinking about three-day gate sales rather than let's think about Sunday afternoon. Let's put on an amazing laser light show, opening ceremonies from noon to one, and then let's put four solid entertaining races on the racetrack. And let's make the experience at a road race good for people and new and cheap for that Sunday afternoon ticket because road racing is already hard enough to spectate. I mean, the tracks are spread out. There's usually one or two really good viewing areas and then you lose the bikes for a long time. And if there's not a good announcing system, you can't hear what's going on around the rest of the racetrack. So it's easy to lose interest and not follow what's going on. It's easier to stay home and watch it on TV and hear what's going on and see the whole race. So um, there are some things that can happen, I think, to improve the Sunday afternoon show that could help both build it back up and grow it even beyond that to new people who just want to be entertained. And the next thing would be focus on the personalities of the riders and their stories to make it more relatable to people who, who didn't, who are not motorsports people. Now they don't have to like motorcycles or know how to ride one. If they like Cameron Bobier and want to hear his story and see how it plays out over the course of the season, if they feel they can relate to him and every other rider in the series. I agree. I think a lot of that works with any kind of racing. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're following the personality, you're going to follow the sport. And I think it's definitely a lot easier for people who aren't familiar to to get in touch with those personalities. I mean, it's like watching a, um, I don't know, like a reality TV show. Like the concept is usually bullshit, but you kind of fall in love with the characters or you, or you hate the characters and you want to want to root for them or root, or root against them. NASCAR is built on it. People don't buy Chevy, Ford, and Toyota things. They they buy their favorite riders or drivers, excuse me, their favorite drivers things. And Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon and, you know, those are the things that got sold. Their royalty checks have got to be unreal. Yeah. Well, I think the personality, I mean, the riders got to help themselves too. Like they got to show their personality. They got to, you know, <laughs> like do a good job of, of doing that as well. So it gives the fans somebody to root for and, somebody to relate to, um, you the know, other, a lot of, you know what I mean? The, like the other, the other side of that is scary too, because people who come out and act like themselves are now getting themselves into trouble. You say something stupid, the world is so recorded and so public. I mean, look what's happening to the NASCAR guy. Now yeah. he says something stupid one time and his career is over. He's even got major league baseball pitchers wanting to fight him in USC because so, <laughs> he messed up so bad. <laughs> I, people are afraid I know. to say something wrong. Because it could be a career ender. So it's yeah. like until until people back off and, and say people are going to get it wrong sometimes, it's going to be hard to get real personalities out there. Josh, I got to yep. ask you, man, with with everything you said and, and you know, your, your, your point of view and just your outlook and the way you take things and decipher it, I mean, is there a, if you were ever offered a position with somebody like, you know, Moto America or being a promoter, I mean, is there any interest? that you have in that i mean because you you definitely have a lot of insight and uh you know your your, your knowledge of the inner workings of racing it seems to be pretty incredible 
I'm interested to hear about it, but it would be a difficult decision because it's it's hard to go from having a pretty good reputation to being the most hated man in racing overnight. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough gig, man. It's, but we'll, it's, yeah. you know, well, we appreciate you. It would you. be a scary uh, thing, but I mean, I'm definitely interested. Yeah, I think you do a good job. Uh, like he said, you got a lot of good insight, and uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool to kind of see the business side of Josh Hayes a bit and and see how that would play out. But um, our our last segment we do every show we call it the higher low line. It's sort of a this or that question. We'll give you two uh, two choices and kind of pick one and uh, like a quick sentence on why why you pick that, I guess. But uh, the first one is uh, scary. <laughs> yeah, we, we get it is. Tough. It is. <laughs> the higher low line tonight is sponsored by Unsettled Racing. Unsettled Racing is composed of two brothers, Jax and Wes Settle. They race in District 17 as well as surrounding states. It's a family affair with Papa, Mimi, and Mom running the team while Dad is serving in the military. Look up these riders at a race near you. Okay, I'm just gonna throw it out there: Moto America or AMA Superbike. Um. I think Moto America. Yeah, it's a tough Moto one. <laughs> I think I think if we talk about the the, the previous guys, there, there's three really, right? So there's AMA AMA Pro Racing, then or uh, which was DMG. There was AMA whatever it was before that, and then there was Moto America. But I think Moto America is on. You know, they they've tried to do a lot of the good things, and they're just when you inherit something broken, it's hard to do something good. But I think that they are throwing a lot of things at it. I have a lot of respect for the guys there, and I, I get to talk to them a little bit and hear what their challenges are. And uh, I think they're they're trying so much. Hopefully we can figure something out. The racing was never hey, broken. Hey, Josh, uh, to put you on the spot again, but i got to ask, uh, Rossi <laughs> or Marquez? Um, man, I'm a little more of a Rossi fan. A little more of a Rossi fan. I got a ton of respect for Marquez in, in his craft, man. I, I wish I had that, you know? Well, you're a big cyclist. Um, I know you've done, man, I countless miles in California and, uh, mountain biking or road biking. You're going out. There's a nice day. What do you, what do you, what are you grabbing the mountain bike or the road bike road every time? Road every time. The, the dirt in California is not real good. Yeah, the the dirt in California is not my kind of dirt, and I'm just talented enough to get myself into big trouble, and not talented enough to get out of it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, right. I mean, I I, I I'm kind of curious because I've done some riding in SoCal. I've uh, stayed with Matthew Miles quite a bit in uh, Huntington Beach, and I hate SoCal riding. It's just like so many traffic lights you just can't get a rhythm going and what is your favorite place to ride a road bike that you've been to across the country i gotta say here at home you know i'm in kind of north san diego county and we live about 10 miles from the beach so i can pick flats if i go west or i can go east and i can go up and i can do an unlimited number of loops for unlimited mileage loops and as much climbing as i want to do and never ride the same road three times in two or three weeks i'll have to hit you up when i'm out there so you just rode in the wrong place yeah i did i think <laughs> it was uh man it was like every half mile of traffic light and the first time i was out there i was just blowing traffic lights because where i'm from like 
the, like the cops don't really care if you blow traffic lights and and matthew miles he was like hey dude you can't you're you'll get like a 500 hour fine i'm like really i was like i didn't know that i the first day i was there i was blowing all the lights i'm like whatever so yeah i was curious about yeah. that Melissa well, you know, got pulled over really was it a fine or she talked her way out of it she's cute <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't have that luxury uh go ahead sammy you got a follow-up not to talk too much about myself but um uh, i kind of grew up spending half of my time in oceanside california which is now josh hayes's hometown and so i know what he's talking about with uh, head west and you're in the flats or head east and you're going up and down hills because when i was in school man it was downhill to school I went downhill, and I'm sure Josh knows Melrose, man, it's downhill. And then uh, the way yep. home, man, was nothing but a struggle uphill pedal. <laughs> so, so it just reminded me of that. It's just <laughs> nice. funny. I'm right on the edge of Bonzel, so I'm pretty far east. Inland where it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got, I got another hard one for you. Well, maybe it's not too hard, but it's kind of like a pick-your-poison type deal. Uh, <laughs> racing... You gotta you gotta do one man racing hooligan flat track or the bagger class at Laguna Seca. <laughs> I think I'd rather hooligan flat track. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see you on a bagger at Laguna. <laughs> uh, I've been asked quite a few times, so we'll have to see what happens. <laughs> hey, um, all right, how about this one? You got Superbike Race Weekend during MotoGP. Are you picking Laguna Seca or Circuit of the Americas? Laguna Seca all day long. Circuit of the Americas is, is like one of the most beautiful facilities in the world. It's amazing. The track is like a five and a half or six out of ten on a fun scale. Yeah, I hate it in the video game, the Rossi video game. I, <laughs> I struggle. That turn one, that turn one uphill, baby. I can't turn. I can't turn the bike there. I'm always tucking the front. So, uh, yeah, I was – I mean, it's we typically don't – It's in real life. I bet. We typically don't ask this question too much on the show because it's just like a – I don't know. It's just a standard question, but genuinely, I'm just curious as a fan, what, what has been your favorite track that you've ever – raced i mean it could be here in america overseas what's what's your favorite track road america in wisconsin is without question my favorite three top gear straightaways you get to kind of it's just it's a track you can grind a lot of heavy braking down to second gear turns a few fast downhill turns and usually we have the Darling classic that we can go watch on uh, saturday night yeah, I've actually uh, I did a couple road races. I I don't even know the year 2012. I think on the Harley, and I was able to do Daytona and Road America. And you know Daytona, I was like, all right, this ain't bad. Like I can get the hang of this. I finished you know decent at Daytona. I got the Road America, and it was like, holy shit! Like this place is crazy. I just <laughs> the hard like you said the hard braking. It was uh, it was it was a lot for me to get used to. You know Daytona is pretty basic to figure out, but Road America. I uh, I had more of a struggle with, but yeah, that place is um, it's like a little like town of its own. Just ro- rolling around there on the pit bike, just watching all the different viewpoints. That place was incredible. So um, no, that was a good answer. And yeah, man, we appreciate you coming on. I I know you're a busy guy and you got a family and things like that. Uh, we saw Melissa's working on a hooligan bike, I think. So maybe see you at some flat track races hopefully soon. Yeah, she's going to do some short track stuff. She built up a uh, a Royal Enfield 
uh, as kind of a build project for them that they're doing. They did four girls and had them each build up a bike. And I think they're going to do a couple of, of uh, exhibitions at AFT races. So we'll have to see. I mean, I think she wants Hawk to see her ride. So dad will have to be there babysitting and crew chiefing or something. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, I know the fans will They'll definitely like hearing from you, and uh, yeah, hope, hopefully once this is all over and down the road, we'll catch up at a, at a race some, sometime soon. We appreciate you once again. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks a lot, Josh. Take it easy, guys. Josh Hayes. Man, it's it's good talking to a rider that has so much, just he's able to talk and provide some insight and and uh, just not, yeah, I ride bikes, yeah, uh. It's just like cool to like have some like an intellect racing conversation with somebody, you know. It's I get those with Chris Carr quite a bit. That guy is like dives into just the X's and O's of racing, and it's helped me a lot in my career just talking about that stuff. Because I think Josh he he made a made the point he was a B minus racer, a you know A minus or B plus racer but he's been able to figure things out in other ways. And I can really relate to that. I've always felt like I haven't been the most talented guy. I've, I've had to work extra hard and figure out ways to kind of get the job done. And there's a lot of, that he mentioned that I can relate to. And, um, and I've never won four superbike titles. So, uh, definitely, definitely don't have that on the resume, but the guy is, is incredible. And, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool to have him on and talks racing some bit. True professional in every sense of the word, true professional. Yeah, for sure. Uh, man, there's not a lot going on, Sammy, right now, race-wise. I uh, I got to see you yesterday, actually. We went to a local short track buyer spot, actually Trailway Speedway, and got to spin some laps. Trailway is uh, it's actually the first racetrack I ever raced at in my life. That was my first race. Um, you know, I've had some high and low moments at that track over the years. I think everybody that's raced flat <laughs> track has been the Trailway, I feel like. That place is like... It's been there yeah. forever, so... Yeah, yeah, man, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, you know, I remember reading Cycle News, man, and seeing guys like Georgie Price and Bobby Sweeten and, and reading about it, and then when I came east, you know, it was like, wow, it's an amazing place. So, yeah, definitely a special place. Yeah, we got both the Varnes out there. Kevin Varnes was spinning laps on Ryan's uh, Ryan Varnes' KX450, and he even got on... Jake Johnson's Indian. Jake was there shaking down the Indian. Looked really good on it. It was good. Shana was able to spend some laps, get some testing in. So we had a good group of guys and I'm sorry, a good group of riders. Not not guys. You know, good group of riders there. And and it was cool to be socially distanced, but it was cool to see everybody. I uh, mean, I'm I'm missing just missing everybody, my friends, my family. It's been tough for me, dude. Honestly, I I, I struggle. I'm a social guy and. And uh, I have like massive anxiety, so I'm like not into leaving the house unless I have to. So it was uh, it was cool to see Shayna. That's the first time I saw her since Daytona, dude. It's been it's probably the longest I've ever gone without seeing my sister. So it was um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Wow. So it was uh, it was cool to it was cool to see her and uh, and uh, my my grandpa came out and um, yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. I was just excited to get out of the house. I mean, I've been in this house like way too long, man. So it was good to get out. So it was like double bonus. One, I got out, and two, I was at a racetrack. Like it was, it was 
He doesn't get better than that. What's and it mean? was a nice day out, man. It was like we had decent weather. And then today, it literally, I have a little pit bike track in the backyard. And I, I told Cruz, we're going to need to get a jet ski if we're going to ride this thing this weekend. Like, it's just, it probably rained 80 inches today. Like, so, so much <laughs> rain. Um, but... Yeah, no, it was good, and I guess I I should mention uh, he'll probably text me and give me shit if I don't. But Robbie Bobby McClendon is doing the Pensacola race this weekend, and uh, I don't cool. really know who all is going and how that works. Uh, but I know he's got a lot of fast riders going. Obviously, Dalton Gauthier, probably Raspoli, uh, Joe Cop, Cody Cop, just like the Florida boys, maybe B Rob, um, Brandon Robinson. So it should be cool. Uh, racing's coming back, but I mean, I've seen the world of outlaws is racing here in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, I've heard rumors supercross might kick back up in a couple of weeks. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know how it's going to work with fans and things like that. I think now I think they're, the plan is middle of June, early June, but I don't know everything. It changes every day. So we, we really, we really don't know. You you don't know until you know. You know, everything's so crazy right now, man. I mean, there's so many things you hear. It's like, ah, who knows what's going on? You know, it's like, it, it's nuts. I'll believe anything at this point. All I know is uh, I just want to get to a racetrack and see some racing and be a part of racing. And I can't wait for that to happen. Yeah, sooner than later, I hope, for sure. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but... Man, I just can't think of anything else exciting to talk about. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. And if you can do us a favor and go on iTunes, leave us a review. That that helps us out a lot. So um, social media, stay tuned. We appreciate everybody listening to the Brad Baker episode. That turned out really well. And, and Brad did a phenomenal job. And um, all of our guests, man, I'm, I'm super stoked to have everyone that has come on the show and, and be part of it. And a big shout out to Jake, you know, for 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 doing it for with me and and uh, i know he's busy with uh, what he's got going on but we'll we'll talk with jake here on here on here again soon and shout out to my boy carter for keeping the show going and uh my new co-host sammy sabedra did an excellent job bro i, I was uh appreciate excited it. to have you appreciate on it. yeah appreciate that. Appreciate put you in the that, podcast man. hall of fame already you know or already Woo. getting your spot <laughs> yeah man big thanks to you know to the show uh, for having me on and especially, um, Jake, you know, for, uh, I'll, uh, say it again. Let me fill in for Jake Johnson. You know, when I add that to my resume, <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. And, and, uh, if you guys, uh, ever, uh, are in the, this position again, let me know, give me a call, man. I'd be happy to come back on the show anytime. Well, you're coming back next week, buddy. We got, uh, we got a new guest lined up. I'll give you guys a hint. We um we talk about him a lot on the show. He's he's one of my favorite writers, and I just did a little uh, website blog for Sideburn Magazine on the rider that we're we're gonna have on, and his nickname was the Human Highlight Reel. So we'll let you guys uh kind of look that information up if you already don't know. But pretty excited about our next guest. We have a few good ones lined up. We're gonna really. We're coming at you hot, baby. We're, we got a lot of good ones lined up. Well, we want to thank, again, Bell Helmets for coming on, being the title sponsor of the Tank Slapping Podcast Show. Bell, I can't say enough of good, good things about Bell Helmets and what they do for the sport. They offer really good really good helmets, quality, safety, motocross, full-face helmets. Just big supporters of a lot of the riders, and they do a good job of keeping us protected. So if you're in a Tank Slap, 
you need a bell helmet on your head. Thanks again, guys, for uh, sponsoring the show. Danny, that's all I got, bud. Anything for uh, closing? No, man. All I got to say is that was a great time, and I can't wait till the next show, especially with the guests, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped on this. You know, I'm a dirt track guy through and true, so to talk to it, now you're, you know, now you're talking my language. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys. We'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace.